Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. Today, we have another episode of The Coach's Corner, so no guest, it's just me, and we'll be back next week with our normal interview format. But today, I thought I'd share some recent news with you about what's going on over here at the Silver Edge, as well as in my personal life. So I start out by talking about why I feel like fat loss challenges are a really bad idea, and then I proceed to pitch you on why you should join our 21-day fat loss challenge. Then I talk a bit about my recent vacation in Mexico. I stayed in one of those all-inclusive resorts that was pretty much spring break for grandparents. And I finish up by talking about my progress on my journey to train like a bodybuilder. Okay, so without further ado, let's get on with today's show. Fat Loss Challenges I want to start this conversation with two conflicting statements. Number one, I think fat loss challenges are a terrible idea, especially for those of us over 50. Statement number two, I want you to join our 21-day fat loss challenge. Let me explain. I think fat loss challenges are a terrible idea because most of them promote poor dieting behavior by making the winner the person who loses the most weight in the challenge timeline, typically 21 or 30 days. And while this can be fun and motivating for some people, weight loss in these challenges is very, very rarely permanent. And that makes sense if you think about it. The participants in these types of challenges aren't encouraged to make permanent behavior changes that are sustainable for the rest of their lives. Rather, they are encouraged to participate in extreme dieting behaviors that are by no means sustainable. A person who radically slashes their calories for three or four weeks to lose a few pounds is often doing more long-term harm than short-term good. And here's why. When we drastically cut our calories, we normally shed a few pounds. But at the same time, you are sending signals to the brain that there is food scarcity. And your body has adapted over hundreds of thousands of years to adapt during prolonged periods of food scarcity by slowing down your metabolism, like way down, and going into this emergency mode, which means it desperately wants to store fat to ensure your continued survival. In other words, your body doesn't know that you're crash dieting on a challenge, and it's doing what it's evolved to do to keep you alive. So that takes care of statement number one and why I'm not a big fan of fat loss challenges. But my second statement was that we just launched a 21-day fat loss challenge and I want you to join. I know it might seem a bit arrogant of me to trash fat loss challenges and then tell you that ours is superior, but I think it is and here's why. When we run fat loss challenges, the winner is never a person who loses the most weight. In fact, we don't even ask people to weigh in at all during any time during our challenges. There's no before and after weight or pictures, no dramatic and awe-inspiring stories of so-and-so who lost 15 pounds in 21 days. Instead, our winner will be the person who is the most consistent with our daily healthy lifestyle habits. Instead of rapid weight loss, Our goals are to teach participants the small, often boring, but absolutely critical steps to long-term healthy weight loss. 
We'll have daily challenges with things like eating enough protein in a day, daily steps, hydration goals, getting enough sleep, managing stress, etc. So here's my call to action. Join our 21-day fat loss challenge. First prize is 500 bucks, and we're giving away five runner-up prizes, as well as some fun giveaways along the way. Now, I want to take a second to speak directly to my introverts for a minute. You may be thinking, this sounds horrible. I don't want to sign up for some crazy challenge. There has to be a better way to get this information. And look, I get it. As a card-carrying member of the Introverts Club, I understand that challenges aren't everyone's cup of tea. But even if you don't want to actively participate, which is required for winning, by the way, there's still value to participating in this challenge. In other words, it's perfectly okay for you to join and then just lurk to participate on your own at your own pace, and you can interact as much or as little as you want. Okay, so with that being said, here's the deets. Registration is open until midnight Sunday, Eastern Time, March 5th. If you're listening to this before then, you can register in a couple different ways. The first is to head over to the show notes for this episode, and I'll drop the registration link in there. And you can find the show notes for this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash 175. Or you could just go to silveredgefitness.com and click on the podcast icon at the top of the page, and then click on this episode. It'll be the first one at the top of the page. Or you can head over to our private Facebook group and find one of the challenge posts there. We have the registration link in there as well. Or you can just email us at coach at silveredgefitness.com and I'll reply back with the link. But I'd encourage you to at least check out our challenge. We've gotten rave reviews from these in the past and you have nothing to lose except maybe a few pounds in Everything to gain, like the tools to building a lifelong, lean, healthy body, and maybe, just maybe, 500 bucks. Spring break for grandparents. Okay, so I just got home from a nice little vacation down in Mexico. My wife and I went to an all-inclusive resort in Playa del Carmen, which is a beautiful little beach town just south of Cancun. This was my first all-inclusive experience, and by all-inclusive, I mean everything was prepaid, and by everything, I mean all the food and drinks, and by drinks, I mean beer, wine, and liquor. Oh, and I suppose the other piece of information I want to share about this resort is that it's adults only, no kids allowed. So our resort had, I don't know, nine or 10 different restaurants right on the property, ranging from coffee and pastry shops all the way up to fine dining. And of course, bars. Lots and lots of bars. Oh, and of course, room service that was 24-7, and they'd bring you anything you want to eat or drink any time of day or night. So with that as the backdrop, I thought it might be interesting to talk about nutrition and self-control. As a nutrition coach and a nutrition nerd myself, I have my nutrition pretty well dialed in. I know I could do a better job of getting a few more vegetables on board each day, but other than that, I eat a very healthy diet that fuels my life in a very positive way. And I think that I have a decent relationship with food. I don't have any foods or food groups that I never eat or that are off limits, and I make room in my life for things like the occasional pizza or ice cream. And all of this works great for me when I'm in my own environment. I guess before I continue with my culinary adventures and challenges down south, 
I'll share with you what I tell my clients when they ask me what they should do when they go on vacation. I tell them to relax and enjoy themselves, to work on deeply connecting with the person or people that they're traveling with, that a vacation is, by its very definition, a break from your normal routine. I counsel them not to go hog wild, to prioritize protein with every meal, but advise against tracking calories or obsessing over macros while they're on vacation. And I applied this same philosophy to myself. But this place was next level. Every day, walking from my room down to the pool or the beach, I had to pass a pastry shop with a myriad of mouth-watering pastries that quite literally called my name every time I walked past. And I'd think to myself, you know, Kevin, you work so hard. You're so good with your diet. You never eat these kinds of things. A little indulgence is actually a good thing. But then I'd get in there, and there's so many delicious options. How could I possibly choose just one? Plus, I'm on a bulk. I'm trying to build muscle, and that means eating in a calorie surplus. So I'd lovingly select the almond croissant, the tiny flan, and that wonderful-looking mango creation. And oh shit, look, they have gelato. How'd I miss that? I guess I'd better get a scoop of that papaya gelato, right? And since the scoops are pretty small and free, I might as well throw in a scoop of coconut gelato in there as well, you know, to get that tropical feel. All right, so after I recovered from my carb coma, I realized that I was going to have to come to terms with being surrounded by delicious free food. But there was this strange compulsion that I should take advantage of all this food and drink while I was there. At any rate, I managed to rein things in and eat sensibly, which for me meant getting my protein in every meal and then enjoying my meals with a modicum of moderation. But what I really wanted to talk about in this segment is alcohol. As I mentioned, there was no shortage of booze in this place. Now, prior to this trip, I haven't had even a sip of alcohol since Christmas. I did dry January, and then inspired by a recent podcast episode I did at the first of the year with uh, Carolina titled A Beginner's Guide to the Sober Curious Movement, I abstained from alcohol all of February until I got to the resort in Mexico. My first day there, I had a couple of drinks at the pool and then a couple of glasses of wine with my dinner. Not surprisingly, I slept like crap that night and I woke up the next morning realizing why I'm not such a big fan of alcohol these days. But here's the deal. This resort was basically spring break for grandparents. I'd guess that the bulk of the people who were there were between the ages of, I don't know, maybe 45 and 65. And the resort had an entertainment team out by the pools whose job it was to whip people into a party frenzy, which is all fine and good. All these people were here to unwind and relax and have a good time. But there was this over-the-top glorification of alcohol, this implicit message that if you weren't getting drunk, you weren't really doing vacation right. And this was over and way over the top. It would be noon and there'd be party music blasting and an MC encouraging people to get drunk. The entertainment team would literally walk around and pour shots in people's mouths. They had these squirt guns that fit over inverted champagne bottles that they would shoot into people's mouths. It was honestly surreal. It was like something out of an MTV spring break show, except instead of college students, it was a bunch of 50-year-olds. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not a prude and God knows I've had my share of issues with drugs and alcohols in my life. I've used them for fun and for escape throughout my adolescence and really, to be honest, for the better part of my adult life. But I found this glorification of drinking, this overt equating of having a good time with getting plastered, very interesting. Anyway, I ended up making the decision to abstain from alcohol after that first day. Drinking simply doesn't serve me in any positive way at this stage in my life. And I was still able to have fun and enjoy myself without being a stick in the mud or judging other people on their choices. But I'll mention one other thing about Mexico that I found very interesting. The country seems to have pretty much banned smoking from all public places. And in the airport duty-free shop, their warnings on cigarettes states very simply, tobacco kills, in great big all-caps letters. None of this mincing of words about, hey, it maybe might could cause cancer, or it could possibly maybe be harmful during pregnancy. Nope, just tobacco kills. Big, bold letters on every tobacco product. And I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition that they took such a hardline stance on smoking, but apparently see alcohol as a great drug that everybody should not only enjoy, but should enjoy in copious amounts. Now, all that being said, I had a wonderful vacation. The resort was amazing. The food was delicious. The weather and the beaches were perfect. And I even enjoyed the wild spring break pool parties. My bodybuilding journey so far. Back in December, I recorded a podcast with a guy named Adam Schaefer titled Bodybuilding Over 50. And Adam talked about why people over 50 should and should not consider training for their first bodybuilding show. And while I have absolutely zero interest in competing in bodybuilding, the episode inspired me to train like a bodybuilder for a year. So I'm now two months in, and I thought I'd briefly share an update on how it's going. I've never in my life trained like a bodybuilder, at least not consistently. I mean, I've definitely done three or four sets of 10 reps of accessory exercises off and on a few times, but never consistently. My goal is to weigh 210 pounds and be sub 10% body fat by the end of this year. I'll turn 59 next month, and the idea is that I want to roll into my 60s as a jacked old man. I started this journey at the beginning of the year at about 197 pounds. I'm six foot two, by the way. And today I'm 202 pounds as of this morning. So I put on about five pounds in two months. I've been eating in a calorie surplus for the last two months. My maintenance calories were about 3,200 calories a day when I started, meaning that when I consistently ate 3,200 calories a day, I neither gained nor lost weight. And I've been eating around 3,600 calories a day with a minimum of 200 grams of protein each day. I wish I could say that I've put on five pounds of pure muscle, but unfortunately that's just not the way it works. I've definitely added some fat along the way as well. So what I've decided to do at this point is to go on a two-week mini-cut or mini-diet. Basically, I'll take a break from bulking and try and shed a little bit of fat over the next two weeks, and then I'll slowly bump my calories back up until I'm in a calorie surplus again and I start gaining weight and muscle again. 
I'll bring my calories down to 3,000 calories a day for the next couple of weeks. I'll still keep my protein target at a minimum of 200 grams a day, but coming off vacation, I felt like this was the perfect time for a mini cut. Now, if I were actually preparing for a bodybuilding show or something like that, say maybe at the end of this year, I'd definitely forego this mini diet and obsessively work on building as much muscle as I possibly can, which requires me being in a calorie surplus. And if I'm being honest, it's my own body insecurity that's compelling me to take this little diet break at this point. While I love the feeling of getting stronger and bigger, I definitely don't like to see my body fat creeping up to 15% or so. And like a lot of guys, that little bit of extra body fat wants to settle right in my belly. But I think it's worth emphasizing because it often gets missed in diet and exercise media that in order to build muscle, we need to be in a calorie surplus. In other words, we need to eat more calories than we burn each day. And you can think of it like this. You need to supply this new muscle you're trying to build with the raw material. Conversely, in order to lose weight, that is burn fat, you need to be in a calorie deficit. Now, there is a magical unicorn in bodybuilding called body recomposition, which refers to building muscle and losing fat at the same time, but this mythical creature is very elusive. While it is possible, for most of us mere mortals, the only time this is practically accessible is when we're new to strength training. So if you're in your first year or so of strength training, enjoy these body recomposition gains. They don't last. Okay, so I'm starting a mini diet for the next two weeks, and then I'll reverse diet back out of that into a bulk. And a reverse diet is just a fancy way of saying that instead of jumping right back to 3,600 daily calories, I'll slowly add calories back in my diet, maybe an extra 200 daily calories per week for three weeks until I get back to that 3,600 calories a day. And the reason I'll do that is to prevent rapid fat gain. Our bodies are evolutionarily designed to be fat storing machines, which once upon a time served us very well and ensured our survival during periods of food scarcity, which is why we need to jump through so many hoops to obtain and maintain a healthy body composition. Okay, so that's the current state of affairs on the nutrition side, but I also wanted to touch on the workout side of things as well. Like I said, training like a bodybuilder is new to me. Unlike most of my past exercise efforts, I'm not training for performance. Way back when I was an endurance guy, I ran marathons and triathlons. Later, I found CrossFit and was actually a pretty decent CrossFitter in my age group. I found that I excelled at intense conditioning work where the loads were light and the main focus was just to go hard. In other words, I was rewarded for being efficient and performance-driven. But bodybuilding is pretty much the exact opposite of that. Instead of trying to make heavy weight feel light by being as efficient as possible, I'm now trying to be as inefficient as possible. And what I mean by that is that I'm trying to make lightweight feel as heavy as possible. And I do this by slowing the reps way down, by taking a second or two to really squeeze and focus on the muscle at the top of every contraction of every rep, and then lowering slowly and trying to maintain that mind-muscle connection and keeping tension in that working muscle. 
Now, when most people think of bodybuilding, they think of the hypertrophy set and rep ranges, which is classically three to five sets of, say, 10 to 12 reps with maybe one minute of rest in between. But good bodybuilders utilize all of the tools in the toolbox and they periodize their training. <clears throat> the way this has worked for me in the last two months looks like this. Due to a strained rotator cuff, I started my training with higher volume, mostly three sets of 15 to 20 reps, which, by the way, is my least favorite rep range. But then a few weeks ago, I transitioned to the classic 8 to 12 reps I'm currently doing. I'll definitely do a few cycles of strength training, and that'll look like three to five sets of three to five reps of much heavier weights with much longer rest periods, but I definitely want to wait until my shoulder is 100% before moving to heavier weights. And the reason I'm periodizing my training is to prevent plateaus. Our bodies are amazing when it comes to adapting to work, and by cycling or periodizing my training, I can get the most bang for my bodybuilding buck by switching up the training stimulus every four to six weeks or so. Now, back in January, I started with a classic push-pull leg split. The way I had this set up was that I'd do a push day, meaning I'd work chest, shoulders, and triceps, followed by a leg, glute, and core day. And then on the third day, I'd do my pull day, which is working my back, biceps, and more core. And I'd do these three days consecutively, then I'd take a rest day, and then repeat. So the way this would work out is six workout days and two rest days every eight days. So basically in an eight-day cycle, I had six workout days and two rest days. Each workout was about an hour long. Oh, and I'd make it a point to deliberately walk every day, meaning that right after my workout, I'd either walk on a treadmill or outside for 30 to 40 minutes. Now that I'm back from vacation, I've switched up my routine and I'm going back to doing full body days, meaning I'll work out all muscle groups in each workout. I have three separate full body workouts that I'm cycling through and I take a rest day between each one. So essentially I work out every other day. I felt like I was recovering okay with the six workouts every eight days routine, but I'm curious to see how my body responds to this new routine with the additional rest built in. Now, the last thing I wanted to share with you is the role of patience in any fitness endeavor. I took a picture at the beginning of this bodybuilding journey and snapped another one yesterday. So the two pictures are about two months apart and I'm five pounds heavier in the second picture. But here's the deal. These two pictures look nearly identical. They look like they could have been taken a day apart. I mean, with my coach's eye, I can see a bit more development in the pecs and a tiny bit more fat around the belly, but these are very subtle changes. I've certainly gotten stronger over the two months. I've progressed nicely in all my lifts, but I've done two months of hard work and have very little to show for it. And I think this trips up a lot of people who are new to working out. We want, and expect, really, to see dramatic changes right away. And often when we don't see these results, we give up. I mean, who wants to slave away in the gym and eat healthy and not look any different in the mirror a month or two later? But this is a long game, and the winner understands that. If your nutrition is solid and your workouts are appropriately programmed for your goals, you will see visible results, but it's going to take some time. For me, personally, I have a year-long body composition goal, and it's an aggressive goal, but the only way I'm going to get there is by putting in the work on a consistent basis 
day by day, week by week, month by month. The results will come, I promise. You just need to trust the process and learn to enjoy the journey. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to head over to silveredgefitness.com slash 175, find the show notes for this episode, and register for our 21-day fat loss challenge. As a reminder, registration closes at midnight on Sunday, March 5th, so if you're listening to this before then, please head over there and register now. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong.